Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Jason McGay. All right, well, it is my privilege to bring the word to you this morning, which I'm excited to do. How's everybody doing? Are you blessed? blessed. I know you're blessed. Amen. So blessed, the blessed call you blessed. Did I say that right? Yeah, I'm blessed. That's a lot of blessing. Well, praise the Lord for that. Living in the blessing. Praise the Lord. All right, so let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. And we will look at, Well, let's do four. We're going to read verses 5 through 10, but I think I'm going to start in verse 4 here. I mean, it's all good, so. I mean, actually, verse 1 is pretty good, too. I'm going to start in verse 1, so. It says, for since the law has merely a rude outline, which is an interesting way of putting that, or foreshadowing of the good things to come, instead of fully expressing those things, It can never, by one offering, the same sacrifices continually year after year, make perfect those who approach its altars. So I'm just going to give some context here. We're talking here in Hebrews about the offerings on the altar in the temple, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And they're saying that in those, those offerings, under the law, as the law prescribes, can't make someone perfect. Okay, And that, in fact, they're just a shadow of the good things that were yet to come. So we'll jump ahead a little bit because those good things are found completely in Jesus. Amen. Okay? So it goes on to say, verse 2, For if it were otherwise, would these sacrifices not have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers had once for all been cleansed, they would no longer have any guilt or consciousness of sins. But as it is, these sacrifices annually bring a fresh remembrance of sins to be atoned for. So what he's basically talking about is that they would continually remember their sins. And so there was a continual offering and sacrifice to cover over their sin. But there was still a remembrance of it on a regular basis. So it never actually got rid of that aspect of sin. It was just a temporary thing that the sacrifices were being made. And then it tells you why. It says in verse 4, because the blood of bulls and goats is powerless to take sins away, all right? It can't, it can't redeem a man. The blood of a bull or a goat cannot cleanse the, the sin away from a human being, okay? And then it goes on to this, verse 5. Hence, when he, being Christ, entered into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but instead you have made ready a body for me to offer. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you have taken no delight. Then I said, Behold, here I am, coming to do your will, O God, to fulfill what is written of me in the volume of the book. 
Verse 8 says, When he said just before, you have neither desired nor you take delight in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, all of which are offered according to the law, he then went on to say, Behold, here I am coming to do your will. Thus, he does away with, the, with and annuls the first or the former order as a means of expiating sin so that he might inaugurate and establish the second order. And in this accordance with, his, with this will of God, we have been made holy, consecrated, and sanctified through the offering made once for all of the body of Jesus Christ. Okay. A lot of language there, so let me just put it in um, other plain English, even though this is plain English. It's, it's amplified English, so there's a lot of it. What he's essentially talking about here is that the blood of bulls and goats, the body of that animal, that sacrifice couldn't cleanse man. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that type and shadow. And he's saying that when he offered his body as a sacrifice, when he offered to do himself to do the will of God, when he did that as an offering for sin, it once and for all did away with sin. Once and for all. And it says that because of this will, the will of God being executed in Jesus' life, we have been made holy, sanctified, consecrated. That's what we have received because of what Jesus has done for us, Amen. right? Yeah. Once and for all through the body of Jesus Christ. Okay. Hallelujah. So what I'd like to talk to you a little bit about today is about offerings Amen. and specifically about yielding to the will of God. I'd like to talk to you about that, about yielding to the will of God. And we'll start with this, because this is the verse that was highlighted to me in this verse 5 here. It says, Hence, when he, Christ, entered into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but instead you have made red, ready a body for me to offer. Sacrifices you did not desire, but the law prescribed it. And we just read that. Sacrifices but the law prescribed it. He said it didn't please God. He, he was, that was not his full intention there. He said, instead, you have made ready a body for me. So the body of Jesus Christ was a sacrifice unto God the Father. The body of Jesus was a living sacrifice that became a sacrifice on the cross and that was then again raised to life. Hallelujah. He says, you weren't pleased with these other sacrifices. You weren't pleased with them. Even though the law prescribes that. So why would you think that God would not be pleased with that? So here's the commandment. I want you to offer sacrifices. And yet God was not pleased with the sacrifices. Sounds a little double-minded almost, but we, of course, we know God is not double-minded. Amen to that, yes? Yeah. Can you imagine if God was double-minded? If, if he was fickle? And it's like, yeah, that was my will for you, but I've changed my mind, and who are you to say? I'm God, so... Yeah. 
you get to heaven, you knock on the door, and he says, oh, yeah, by the way, I scratched your name from the list. Sorry. I changed my mind. No. That wouldn't be too pleasant if God was double-minded, right? Now, people can be, and I'm sure we've all encountered people that are double-minded. You may yourself have been double-minded at one point, thinking one, not admitting it, thinking one way and then changing your mind, thinking another way, and it's funny to see how people argue sometimes because have you ever seen someone argue themselves in a circle and then end up proving the point the, their opponent is making? <laughs> people can be double-minded because, yeah, well, for a lot of reasons. But God is not double-minded that way, not at all. And here he's saying that he had prescribed these offerings to be made, but they didn't please him. And even they didn't, it says that he didn't please them. In these offerings, you have taken no delight. Now, part of the reason why it took no delight in it is because it didn't actually solve the problem. Sin was still there. Sin was still separating God from mankind. He was just covering it over through the sacrifice in order to be able to provide a conditional and temporary blessing on Israel. Conditional, temporary. But that wasn't his full intention. His full intention was to be able to get rid of sin altogether and pay the sacrifice. So in that respect, he wasn't fully pleased with the burnt offerings and sacrifices that Israel was making because it was not the fullness that he wanted to come to pass. And that fullness we find in what Jesus has done. The fullness of that is in Jesus. So there are some things that we can learn from this because here's the law that prescribed these burnt offerings and Israel's going, you know, relatively faithfully, you could say, to to do these burnt offerings out of an obligation to obey God. Well, I have to obey God because, you know, if I don't offer these burnt offerings, then I won't receive the blessing. And if I don't receive the blessing, then I could be in a whole lot of trouble. And I really need the blessing. So I'm going to make sure I go to church on time every Sunday, make sure I pay my tithes, make sure I read my Bible every day, make sure I pray at least once. And then, you know, then I'm okay because I've covered all the basics and now God can bless me and maintain my life and keep me free and the devil can't harass me and I can be prosperous and I can be blessed and I can do this and I can do that. Yeah. So, is it right to go to church? Yes, Yes, it is. Otherwise, you guys wouldn't be here, right? It's right to go to church. Is it right to read your Bible? Is it a good thing to read your Bible? Is it a good thing to pray and talk to your Heavenly Father? Yes, it is. Is it a good thing to share the gospel with other people? Yes, Yes, it is. Is it a good thing to love your neighbor as yourself? Is Is it a good thing to do all these things that God requires of us? Absolutely it is. But is it possible to do those things out of obligation and it not please God? Hmm. It is possible. It is possible to do all those things and actually not please God in the doing of it. Yeah, it's possible. And that is only a type and a shadow. It's the skin. It's not the fullness of it. It's just the, the skin of it. You know what I mean by that? Like, uh, for example, let's say you have an apple, and I peel the skin, and I give you the skin. Hey, enjoy this apple. 
you'd be looking at me funny like you are now, right? Because that, okay, it's part of the apple, but that's not the apple. The good stuff is in the middle, right? It's, that's the skin of it, not the fullness thereof, right? The skin of it, but not the fullness thereof. You want the fullness of the apple if someone's going to offer you an apple. And if you're going to offer something to God, maybe he would like the fullness thereof as well. And not just the skin of it. Now, you can get by on skin, just like Israel got by on the skin of a bull and a goat. They got by, but they sure were not tasting the fullness thereof. Now, in some respect, they couldn't because Jesus hadn't come yet. So it was a type and a shadow, a promise of better things yet to come. But I am happy to tell you that Jesus has come. Hallelujah. And it is through his fullness that we have all received grace upon grace. Amen? Amen. Through his fullness, the fullness of his life. So his was a body that was laid down as a living sacrifice. It's interesting. The when you think about it, why does it specify body? So it was talking about the body of an animal, you know, goats and bulls. And then it refers to, but that didn't please you because, it, but instead you have prepared. This is Jesus speaking, saying, but you have prepared a body for me. It was a body that he lived in in this earth, yes? And that body was meant to be a living sacrifice. And like I said, he did die on the cross for us as well, even to the point of death. And then God the Father raised him from the dead. But it was a body meant. Now, do you have a body? Otherwise, you wouldn't be in the earth. But you do have a body as well, right? So what fully pleased God in this way was a man's body that was fully yielded to the Father. Now, if you're going to put something on the altar, if you're going to put something on the altar, can you take it back afterwards? Uh, Yeah, you can try. Especially burnt offering, right? I mean, there's different kinds of offerings, and you can see that in the, in, you know, in the Bible. You can see that there was different kinds of offerings. And that, in fact, the priests themselves, for some of the offerings, were allowed to take of it and eat of it, and that, that fed them, that provided for them. Hallelujah. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but when you put an offering, as far as the giver is concerned, that offering is gone. They don't put the offering on the altar and go, you know, I did my duty. God is pleased. I take my offering back and go back home. That's not an offering then, is it? Can you imagine like you go to a birthday party and you give someone a gift? And then they go, wow, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah, I know. Thank you. And you take it back and you go home with it. That's not a gift. It's not an offering. What makes it an offering is the fact that you gave it away. Huh. What makes it an offering is the fact that you gave it away. Now, 
if you go and give an offering, but you do it grudgingly. Is that really an offering? It's not an offering if you're doing it grudgingly now, is it? Again, let's use our little birthday party example. You're at a birthday party. You bought a gift that you really like. And let's say you spent more money than what you really felt you should have. And so you go and you give this gift and you're kind of holding on to the the edge of the wrapping paper as you hand it because you don't really want to give this away. You're giving it grudgingly. And the person looks at you and goes, oh, this is amazing. Thank you. And you go, you put on that fake smile. You're like, yeah, you're welcome. Glad you like it. But on the inside, you're thinking, oh, man, I wish I had that. Oh, man, I spent too much money. Oh, I'm going to be paying for this for a while now. Is it a gift when you give it grudgingly? It's not a gift when you give it grudgingly. So if Israel was going and putting burnt offerings on the altar, going, check, I did my duty. Now the blessing of the Lord is mine, and away that they go. But they did it grudgingly because it's like, okay, well, I guess we got to go. I mean, if you read in Malachi, that was kind of like what God was getting on their case about. Because soon enough, the best becomes second, becomes third, becomes, you know, the runt of the litter we put on the altar because, eh. Ah, we're just giving to God, you know, just, yeah, here's my pocket change. Oh, I got, I spent everything, God, on everything I wanted to. I have a little bit left over, so I guess I'll put something in the offering today. Oh. Oops. Let's see. Jesus is God's gift to mankind. And you put your pocket change in the offering after you spent it all on yourself all week long. There's a little bit of an imbalance there, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? So giving grudgingly is not an offering. Giving your bare minimum is also not an offering. You know, the world is full of people that love, or or sorry, not love, but they look to do just the bare minimum in life, at work. Have you ever come across those employees? I'm hoping you're not one of them. (laughs) Have you ever come across those people who've just done the bare minimum? It's like, okay, well, this box here is my job description. And I am going to do just what it says in this job description. So anytime someone asks them to do something else, the will of their boss comes down and says, hey, can you, uh, can you do this? They pull up their job description and says, I'm sorry, but that is not in the job description because I am there to do just the minimum that I need to do to collect a paycheck at the end of the week. Bare minimum. Yes. Yes. And if you... If you've been a manager, then that would be your feeling about it, too. Ugh. Yeah. In fact, when they go through the hiring process, they, they typically try very hard to make sure that they don't get the employees that are there to just do the bare minimum and collect a check at the end of the week, right? So, because why? Are they doing their job? Technically, Yes. Are they a good employee? No, why? 
Because they are just there out of obligation. They are there out of selfish reasons. They are not part of the team. They don't care anything about the company at all. They don't care anything about what's being done there or anyone else around them. They care only about themselves. They care only about what they're doing in order to get something for themselves. It's a very selfish attitude. Hmm. So when we're working in the kingdom... And the king has something for you to do. What kind of servant of the king do we want to be? Hopefully not wicked and lazy servant. You know how, <laughs> how they have employee of the month that they put on the wall, right? They have employee of the month, and everyone gathers, you know, oh, you did such a good job, employee of the month. And sometimes some people get it month after month after month, and as years go by, the wall fills up. And employee of the month, it would be a terrible thing to have to put the opposite on there, the worst employee of the month up on the wall. This guy did the worst job possible. Let's all take a moment to reflect on what he has done. And not done for all of us here who work with him. Worst employee of the month. Yeah. It would, it would inspire people very quickly to not be the worst employee of the month, right? Oh, I don't want my name on there. Yeah. That is an organization that's driven by fear. So, likewise... Likewise, in the kingdom, are we doing what we're supposed to do so that we don't get our name as worst Christian on the, of the month put up somewhere and held up in front of everybody else to go, don't be like this guy. And we don't want to be embarrassed, so we, you know, trying to avoid worst Christian of the month award, right? And so we do everything we do out of obligation and fear. And at the root of it, you're still thinking of you. You haven't given anything. Nope. You know, if you give something, you give it away for free. Yeah. Not with strings attached. Yeah. Not with a catch. Yeah. It's not a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine yeah. thing. You know, when you think about gifts and you, I gave you a really great present for your birthday last year. And here... You gave me a, a letter opener. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Obviously, I mean a lot to you. I got a letter opener. I'm hoping that the thought is a lot bigger and meaningful than this letter opener that you gave me. If you're telling me it's the thought that counts. Because this letter opener doesn't say that you were thinking anything. It, it say, exactly. It says to me that you realize that, oh, I forgot it was your birthday and I don't have time to go get you anything, so I grabbed something off my desk that I could repurpose as your gift. <laughs> That's what it says. There's no thought in that. Oh. Likewise, when we, uh, when we go to give an offering, Oh, God, I forgot. I was going to thank you for these wonderful things you've done for me all this time, but I don't have anything, so I'll just give you what I've got at the moment. But if your heart is not in it, is it a gift? Is it an offering? Not at all. 
Sometimes people have this idea that, you say, well, first of all, I mean, if you're giving something, it's going to be something that you have given, and you're not trying to get something back for it. You're not looking to, i got to get something out of this somewhere. If it's a real gift, you're not looking for that. Now, when it comes to giving to God, you know he's going to bless you and take care of you. And you can sow seeds in faith. But if your motive of heart is to get something, and that's why you're giving, got to really check up on that. It should be an act of faith in God and in love towards God when you're sowing a seed. It should not be, well, you know, I... It, you know, God and I have this good investment plan going on here. I just sow a little bit, and then he blesses me more. And I sow. So it's not an investment deal. It, it is a giving of yourself to God as represented by your heart and by your gift, right? That's what it is that we're to be doing. So this is giving unto the Lord with your whole heart with no strings attached. Amen. Hallelujah. Some people look at giving, especially giving to God, like a sacrifice and they think of it in terms of, for example, when I even use the, the phrase, well, you know, we, we made a bit of a sacrifice in this. What does that tell you? That it, there's loss. It costs you something. And you miss it dearly. Sacrifice. So you approach the altar of God weeping because you think of all the things that you're going to lose when you give it over to God. You think, well, I've got to give up this. I've got to give up that. It's going to be such a loss to me. So I, I, I can't go partying with my friends anymore if I'm going to live for God. What a loss. You know? If I tell the truth, I just might get in a little bit of trouble. And so I guess I'll tell the truth, but what a loss. Loss attached to that. Well, you know, I guess I, I'm going to, I guess I'm going to go to church, but that means I can't be at the beach on Sunday. What a loss. Well, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to live for God, but then I'm going to miss out on all these other pleasures that I find in the world. What a loss. What a, I'm making a sacrifice for Jesus because I'm not living like the rest of the world. And I'm feeling the pain of this loss because I, I have so much I've just given up to follow Jesus. Loss. So what you've done is you've put a burnt offering on the altar and then you cry about it the whole time. And it has zero value in that. Not only that, but you have no idea of what it is that you're missing out on when you're doing that. You have no idea what you're missing out on when you're, when you're thinking that obeying God and doing what he says and living according to him is such a sacrifice. If you consider it to be a loss, then you're actually not giving anything. If you're considering it as a loss, you're really not giving anything at all. Lazy and wicked servant did what? He buried it in the earth. He didn't do anything with it because he was afraid of losing it.
Now, a lot of people look at that and they think to themselves, well, doesn't God require me to live for him and do all these things? So how do I get out of that place? And we look at things from that perspective and, you know, we, we quote verses like, those who are willing and obedient will eat the good of the land, right? You know that verse? Does everyone know that verse? Okay. They're willing and obedient. They will eat the good of the land. So they go, well, you know, okay, well, I'm doing what I'm going to do because I'm going to eat the good of the land. Well, they might be obedient, but are you willing and obedient? So there's a place that our will has in what it is that we do for God. There's a great place that our will has in how we live for God. It's a very, very important thing because, you know, God will not override your will. Now, the devil will try to, but God will not. Now, at the same time, there are really only two choices. Here's an interesting thought concerning free will. Interesting thought concerning free will. Now, let me ask you this question. If you only have two choices to make, those are only two options, that's it. There are only two options. Do you have free will? Yes. Okay. Because you can choose one or the other. We tend to live life, I say we in a general way, tend to have a perspective sometimes that my will, so there's God's will and then doing what the devil wants, his will. And then I have a third-party will over here somewhere where I can do my will. And I can either do that or I can do that over there, but I get to make the choice of what I want to do because, hey, I'll choose whether I want to do this or I want to do that. As if you're a third-party somewhere in the mix. So there's God's will the devil's will, and then you, you are somewhere in this middle between good and evil, and you're somewhere in the middle with your own independent will, thinking that I will choose what I want to do, as if you're in charge. Because the thought behind that is that if you're in charge, then you choose God, or you choose to do other, not God. And that you're the one who's in charge of all of those decisions that are made. Which means, basically, that you're still Lord. And really, what that actually means is that if you're Lord, then he's not. Independence, you having your own, my own will, is actually more like the devil than it is God. If there are only two choices, where do you fall in that? You're either yielding to what God has said, or you're doing something else, something that he has not said, or said not to do. There's only two choices there. And if you're not doing what he said, then whose authority are you under? You're not under God's. There's only two kingdoms. There's not three. Right? There's God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. There's not a third outpost somewhere that's you. 
You're either in one kingdom or the other, right? The lone outpost, you know? The mediator bargaining between the two, picking the best of both. And some people live their Christian lives like that. But let me ask you a question. How did you get born again? How did you get into God's kingdom? Who did you confess as Lord? Jesus. Jesus, Which means that somewhere along the line, you bowed the knees of your heart, your will, and acknowledged that he is Lord. And I'm submitting my will to him. And when you did that, you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. It's not some middle ground waiting period. You're like in a waiting room. You know, you're in, what is that? No man's land without a country. You know, you know what I mean? You're not in some place like that. You're in one kingdom or the other. So you're either under God's authority or you're under the devil's. Right? Now, all of us in this room being born again... Guess whose kingdom we get to be in? Now, here's the thing. God will not rule your will by force. Now, under the devil's kingdom, he will. He pushes. He overrides you. That's what the devil will do. Does God do that? Absolutely not. So if you're going to live in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to do so willingly. And what you offer and give up of your will must be done willingly if his kingdom is going to rule and dominate in your life. I'm going to take a little bit of time with that and unpack that because it's very important. If you want God to rule in your life, Let's take healing, for example. Healing's a, an easy one because it's visible. Think about this for a moment. God doesn't heal your body because you want him to. Huh? What? He doesn't. Because there's lots of people that want to get healed. But he doesn't heal your body because you want him to. He heals your body because he wants to. And at some point in time, in your faith, you yield to his will being done, trusting that he will do what he said he will do. But there is a yielding of your will, a trust where you place your will in life in his hands, confident that he will do what he said he will do. But as long as you retain your will and hold on to it and say, God, I want you to heal me. God, I want you to heal me. He cannot. Because you are still in control and in charge of that. And until you relinquish that will to him, he can't grab a hold of that. As much as you want him to. There must be a place of absolutely yielding your will if you want the will of God to operate in your life. Because as long as you're having control over your own will and what you want to do, he can't. Because he will not override what you're doing. Simply won't. There's a verse in Psalm 110 that says, In your people will offer themselves willingly in the day of your power. Willingly. 
They will offer themselves in service unto you willingly in the day of your power. If we want to see the power of God in operation in our lives, spirit, soul, and body, financially, socially, in all of those areas, we need to be able to offer ourselves willingly to see the day of his power in operation in our lives. If we want to see the dominion of the kingdom, the king's domain, the domain where the will of the king is being done, if we want to see the kingdom of God in operation in our lives, there is a yielding of our will to his will. It's the bowing of the knee. It's the bowing of the head in obedience, in yielding to him, in absolute trust and confidence in his willingness to do what he said he would do. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So let me ask you a question. Is the will of God bad? Is the will of God, you know, is it going to cost you something to do the will of God? If I obey God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost me something. Is the will of God like a difficult chore that you have to do? There are, there are lots of things in life that, that definitely seem that way. You know, when you think about chores and things that are difficult, there are some days you just, man, that lawn, I've mowed it, I don't know, every other day for the last three months, and here it is, it's grown up again, and I've got to mow that lawn. And it's a chore. And it's difficult. But is the will of God that way? Is the will of God something that is difficult? that way unpleasant well with the way that some people live you think that that might be the case well I'm going to do the will of God drudging so are they actually offering anything to God when they obey not a whole lot it's like God please don't send me to whatever country I don't want to go there don't, I'll, I, I'll serve you with conditions written down at the bottom of the contract of my service unto God. My service contract unto the Father. It's got, it's got some fine print down at the bottom there of conditions. I'll serve you, but here, 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 and here. And if you sign here, here, and here, it conditions. Conditional obedience. Oh, conditional obedience. Wow. So, <laughs> conditions unto, the, unto God the Father, right? Conditions. And we say, you know, God, I'll, I'll go where you... But why would you think like that? Well, I don't want to go to this country because, you know, I just... Why? Because you think if God sends you there, that it's going to be miserable, horrible, terrible. And that's what you're thinking. So, first of all, you thinking about you, right? Not the will of the Lord. You're thinking about yourself. But 
you think, oh, it's going to be, I'm going to live on nothing all day long, you know, I'm going to go hungry, I'm going to, and you're thinking this is going to be terrible because you're thinking about you. So when God the Father was picking you out and said, okay, well, you know, at this year they're going to be born and, um, well, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to have them as a missionary at this point in time in their life and they're going to go to this country because they're really going to hate it. It's going to be really tough for them. They're going to complain and whine the whole time. But you know what? Hey, my will's being done. So what can you say? I'm God. Right? You know? Because, you know, I, I, some I give them an easy road. Some I give them the difficult road. Because, hey, I'm God. I can do what I want. Is that our God? No. no. So when he said, okay, I want you to go to this country. And you're thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. And he's going, yeah, I know. But, you know, hey. That's just sacrificing for Jesus. So that's, you know, that's what I require of you. And you go, okay, well, that's what God requires of me. I guess I got to go. If I don't go and obey him, then I don't get the blessing. And I, you know, it's, I guess I got to go. So is, 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 that, is that our God? Is that what he does? Because I read in Ephesians somewhere about the good things that he has prepared for you to do. Good things. Good things? Isn't it say that, Ephesians 2.10? About the good things he's prepared for you to do? Prepared for you to do. Prepared a body for you is what the word said in regards to Jesus. He's prepared some good things for you, right? So maybe you're not seeing right if you're thinking the good thing he has planned for you is bad. You know, there's another group of people that did something like that. The Israelites in the land of Canaan. And they, oh, the giants. This land is evil. This land is bad. And brought up an evil report. Well, they didn't go in. It's funny about that. if you, Because first they're complaining and they're all they're like, this is terrible. God, you should have just let us die in the desert or go back to Egypt. Why bring us to a place like this? We're just going to get crushed by these giants in this land. It just swallows up its inhabitants. They're talking about God's promise. So he said, fine, go into the desert. And they said, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, you know, I'm not going to go out into the desert because that's even worse. So all right, all right, God, we'll obey you now. He's like, no, you, that was it. You didn't go, so into the desert with you. And he, they're like, no, no, we'll, we're going to go. And then they go up on their own. And then, of course, they are crushed by their enemies. And some would say, see, I told you. I told you. I told you it was a bad land. We'd just get crushed. See, look, I proved it out. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. Told you it was going to be, you know, an absolute failure, and sure it was. Interesting. They didn't go, and they didn't get to go in, because they did not believe the goodness of the Lord. They did not believe his will for them was good. So even though it looked a certain way, and, oh, that doesn't look good. I'm going to trust the Lord that his plan for me is good. Amen. 
So God, send, don't send me that country. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Actually, if you're sending me to that country, it's because it's good. And it's good for me. And I trust that you are good. And I trust you know how to take care of my life. If you're sending me there, you've prepared me for that place. You've made me ready for that place. And I can easily then yield my will absolutely in service unto you. And this body here becomes a living sacrifice, pleasing unto God. And that's just reasonable service and spiritual worship, if you read it from the Amplified. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In view of His mercy, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices, fully pleasing unto the Lord. It's because when you offer yourself willingly, in trust that His will for you is good, that is a sacrifice that pleases Him. And you begin to experience the fullness of what it is that Jesus gave His life, laid down His life as a sacrifice, that He did that for you to experience. But as long as we're living in obligation, we're not experiencing that. As long as it's, we, we see the will of God as something to be a little bit hesitant about, because I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out for me. As long as we're looking at the will of God in that respect, we are not seeing clear. We are not seeing His goodness. And anything that we do along those lines comes out of obligation for some other selfish purpose, and not His purpose. But we don't have to live in a place like that. We don't have to live in a place like that. We can live in a place. We've already done it once, right? We've already done it once and say, okay, I realize that Jesus is who he says that he is. And that he has paid the price for me and I give my life to him. You've done it once. But let that consecration and that commitment be complete and full in your life. In absolute trust and confidence in his good will for your life. Because in all areas of your life where... As long as you're Lord of it, he cannot be. But wherever you yield up to him and trust that his will shall be done, his word promises me this, I trust that he will do it. I yield my will in confident expectation that what he said will come to pass. In all areas, when he's told me to walk in love towards my neighbor and to bless those that persecute me, I see that word and I look at it and I go, well, I don't feel like that. That doesn't look like it's going to turn out good for me. What if they throw tomatoes at me or whatever? You, you, your flesh wants to think about itself and its own will. And you can't, if you go at it from the perspective, well, I guess I have to because God said so and here we go, that's not a sacrifice that pleases him. But when you yield your will to his word that says to do that, to bless those that persecute you, when you yield your will to him and say, okay, I trust you, I'm going to do this, and you do the will of God from your heart, then he can step in with his power, with his ability, with his strength, and cause it to come to pass in your life. And you can look at that and you can go through hardship and people throwing stones at you like Paul and the disciples were persecuted and whipped and beaten and they returned with joy going, woohoo, we suffered for the name of the Lord. Amen. With joy. You can't beat a person down. You can't conquer someone who has joy in the midst of a test of trial and persecution. You cannot conquer someone who maintains their joy undefeatable that way but you don't have that joy if you're sacrificing out of obligation 
But if you sacrifice and give your will unto the Lord, then you will have the joy of the Lord, and it will be your strength in all things. Hallelujah. And you will see the Lord as your deliverer in all circumstances. But there is a willingness on our part. It is the only thing that the Lord is saying that he cannot, he does not dominate in your life, is your choice. And I believe that we are in a place of dedication and consecration unto the greater things that God wants to do in our lives. He's got greater purposes for each and every one. He's got things that he wants to do. He's got things that he wants you to walk in in your life that you have never even imagined are possible. But he has these things that are ready and that are waiting for you. And all it takes is for you to yield your will. And say, Lord, whatever you have for me, that will I do. Whatever you have in store for me, I receive it. Whatever it is, wherever it is you want me to go, I will go. And the, my will is yielded down gladly. I will gladly do it. I will gladly do that. When your will is in that place, then he can bring you in to these greater things that he intends to do in your life. He absolutely wants to absolutely wants to. There are those in our midst that are called to do certain things. And if we look at it from, okay, God, tell me what you want me to do, but you're unwilling in heart, why would he show you? Perhaps we should step out in faith with a willing heart that whatever you tell me, I will do. Not, you tell me the plan first, and I'll look at it, and I'll review it, think about it overnight, and if I like it, hey, we're good to go. That's not a yielded will to God. That's you still in charge. How about, Lord, wherever you send me, I will go. Not with a list, oh, well, I've got these contractual obligations here you need to fulfill first. Wherever you send me, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. I delight to do your will, O oh God. It is a delight to me. To do what you, I have no other plans. I am free. My calendar is free to do the will of the Lord, whatever it may be. Hallelujah. Can we say that with all confidence? I believe that we can because we can, even if you think, well, I'm not sure if I'm willing yet. Can you will to be willing? I want to want to. I want to want to. I may not feel like I'm there yet, but that's just feelings. So I choose to want to want to. And you know what? The good thing is, is that it is him who is at work within you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You're not on your own there. You are not on your own to make that happen. It is not a burden on your shoulders. It is the one that is on his and he carries it well. So he is the one that is at work within you to will and to act. According to what? Your purpose? His purpose. Hallelujah. He's got good purposes for you. Some may think, well, it's too late for me. It's taken too long. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to have to get by. Absolutely not. He has good things for you. Good purposes for you. He has not given up on that even if you feel like you have. Hallelujah. He has got good things for every one of us. He has not meant you to walk a path of abject poverty and suffering and discouragement for the rest of your days. That is not your lot in life. Hallelujah. We heard about lot the other Sunday. Just get rid of that lot. Hallelujah. 
send him off on his own. You don't want that lot in life, right? You want what it is that he has a portion for you. He has a, there's a proverb that talks about, a proverb or a psalm that says, the boundaries of my inheritance have fallen in pleasant places. He has a portion for you that falls, the boundaries of it fall in pleasant places. That is your lot in life. That is your inheritance in Christ Jesus. That is what it is that he has for you. Hallelujah. Are you willing to believe the good report? Are you willing to believe and obey? Are you willing to yield yourself unto him in the day of his power? Are you willing to do that? Hallelujah. And even the the, the faintest little yes, that's a yes. We're headed in the right direction, praise God. Start with that little mustard seed faith and let it grow, praise God. You can be in a place where the will of God is being done in your life every single day. Where he has absolute full sway in your life and what he wants to do. You can be in a place where the will of God to you is just, he just turns you any which way that he wants you to go. And it's almost like you're along for the ride. Hallelujah. That he's the one that is carrying you and taking you. He is the one that has carved out a path for you and you're simply walking in it. Hallelujah. He is the one who wants to do that for you. And all it takes for you is to simply yield yourself willingly. Hallelujah. I believe everyone in this room can do that. I believe you've already done that. And we can do that even more, praise God. Hallelujah. All right, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. I said something while I was preaching there about things that God has prepared for you. And I want to touch on that again here for just a minute. There are absolutely things that God has prepared for you. I heard Kenneth Copeland say this one time about the will of the Lord in a person's life. He said, hey, listen, if, that's my hey, listen, by the way. He probably, he doesn't really talk like that. But he said that if the full extent of God's will in your life was to carry the trash from the house to the curb, and that was the sum total of God's will for your life, was to carry the trash from the house to the curb, you can be absolutely sure that it would be the most exhilarating, wonderful, overwhelmingly good experience of carrying that trash from the house to the curb. So his plans for you are good, right, Anne? He's got good plans for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? His plan for you is good, and there are plans. There are ways that you fit into this body. There are things that God has purposed for you to do in this house that you have not seen yet. There is a call that every one of us can be a part of. The will of the Lord in this house. Every single one. There is no one who is left out. There are things that He has designed you to do that only you can do. And you are made for those things. If you want to know why something was made and why it is the way that it is, you find out from the maker why they made it. When we find out from our maker why he made us, we find out what it is that he has made us to do. And he has made you in such a way that no other can take your place. Average is not acceptable in the eyes of an abundant God. 
just getting by, just doing the bare minimum, is not acceptable. Now, He loves you, and He has made an abundant provision for you for wherever He has called you to go. All He's looking for is your yes. That's all He's looking for. Just the yielding of your heart that says, Yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord, I will do as you say. He does everything else. All it takes is a yes from you. So I'm going to pray in a minute, and then as Shalane plays quietly in the background there, I want you to think and pray and ask the Lord, what is it that you have for me to do? And even before you ask that, let him know that your heart belongs to him. Let him know, Jesus, you are Lord in me. Let him know that wherever you send me, I will go. And even if there are places where you, you have that hold back in your heart, you say, Lord, I, am, I want to want to. Work in me to want to more. I want to want to. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for being willing to send Jesus for us. We thank you for the sacrifice of your very own son so that all of us can be blessed and walk in eternal life and experience fellowship, unbroken fellowship with you. Father, I thank you for the plan that you have for all of us. I thank you that each one of us has a purpose in your kingdom. And Father, I thank you for making that purpose known to every single one of us in this room, everyone watching online. You are desirous to make your purpose known to everyone. And Father, I thank you that you are causing our heart to turn and become more and more willing and yielded unto you. So even as we take this moment to pray and and we set our minds on you, in this moment, we hear you speaking to us. In this moment, you're, you're touching every heart. You're speaking to everyone. And Father, we honor you and thank you for it. Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, BC, B3W3B1. 